This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. And welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emma Benner, and today you're listening to episode 137 with Erin Tarr. Erin is a confidence coach for teen and tween girls, and she is the creator of the Fierce and Flourish Empowerment Program, as well as a thought leader in the youth confidence space. She has led countless confidence building workshops with Girl Scout troops, athletic teams, and youth groups. And her leadership programs have impacted more than a thousand girls and young women of all backgrounds across the country by helping them overcome self-doubt and everyday anxiety while discovering their most authentic self. In this episode, we talk all about these things. We talk about her career in this space and how she helps young women build confidence in themselves and overcome that negative self-talk and how we can all incorporate a journaling practice or a gratitude practice in our lives and how we can impact the young girls around us. This was such a great conversation with Erin and she just had so much joy and passion for the work that she's doing. So I was so grateful to get to chat with her. So with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Erin. All right, today on the Illuminate Podcast, I am so excited to welcome Erin Tarr to the show. Welcome, Erin. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here, Emma. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, what really drew me to your work is all of, you know, mainly what you do with with your confidence coaching and working with young girls, teens and tweens. So, do you want to talk about that confidence coach piece specifically and what you do with all of that? Absolutely. I think one of the reasons that I really started calling myself a confidence coach is because I wanted to be crystal clear with parents that this is really what it's all about. Because our girls and our kiddos are amazing, and we know they're amazing. And it's really just that process of revealing to them how amazing they are. And that's ultimately comes from building their confidence, which I believe truly comes from building those tiny habits and then mm-hmm. reinforcing them and continuing to spiral up with whatever it is we're trying to accomplish, whether it's athletics or after school programs or academics or relationships or you name it, uh, just really being that extra cheerleader in that their life that is there with good advice if and when they want it, but also just gives them the tools that they need to continue to develop their emotional skills, their emotional regulation skills, and their communication skills, and all of those types of things. And that's what gives us confidence to show up in this world um, as our very best self. And isn't that what we want in the world? More young people really embracing who they are and showing up with confidence. Yeah, I love that. So you had a long career in education before all of this. And what exactly did you see missing um, in young girls' lives that led you to become a confidence coach versus just staying in education or continuing your work there? Like what made you lead that transition and start doing what you're doing now? 
Yes. Well, one big thing was having my own daughter. So I have three daughters of my own. And as I was looking at all of the kids that had been in the schools that I was working in, specifically middle schools, I thought, wow, my girls are going to grow up in a whole different world than I did, even though it's not, I mean, it's not decades away, but it's it's enough that they're going to have not only the challenges that I had growing up, but this whole other host of challenges as well. And how do I better equip them in a way that they can overcome those challenges? Because I'm not wanting to be a helicopter mom. I'm not wanting to be a lawnmower mom because I've, I've seen those and I've seen how they play out. And those two specific models of parenting, and for anyone who hasn't heard those terms, helicopter mom is where we just constantly hover around the child, making sure that like they're they're safe and they're taken care of and that you know we're taking care of all the things um, as they're coming at them and not allowing them to take care of the things that they need to as they're mm-hmm. getting older. And lawnmower parenting is literally just clearing the path so there are zero obstacles ever in their way. <laughs> and I had seen a lot of that type of parenting in the schools and I knew I didn't want to be that way, but I also knew that kids are not being given, like you said, we're missing this piece of the tools that they need to overcome those challenges. Um, everything is uh, the teacher's going to fix it or the parent's going to fix it or it's not going to get fixed because they're not being given a lot of the tools that they need for setting and achieving goals, for communicating in a healthy manner, for understanding what it means to be proactive or how to create a, a day that's going to make sure that you feel as good at the end of the day as you did at the beginning of the day. And what do you need for you? And listening to our own bodies. Like there's so many, I mean, I could go on and on, Emma, and I know you don't want to hear all the things, but ultimately these are the things that are missing, not Mm -hmm. for lack of good intention by our schools and our teachers, but we've got state testing and we've got standards Mm -hmm. and we have all these other things that we have to do. And it's one of those things that I think some people think happens at home. And maybe a lot of parents don't necessarily have those skills. Or if they do have those skills, they don't know how to teach them in a developmentally appropriate way to kiddos. Mm. And maybe teachers have them, but they're like, how do I integrate that into math curriculum? You know, all of these types of things. So I definitely saw a space, first and foremost, for my kids, but then because of the teacher and me, for all kids. Like, how can we help make sure that every single kid is confident in who they are and what they can offer the world? One of the things I pulled from what you said is that your kids are going to be growing up in such a different world than you grew up in and also probably than what you were teaching in. And so I want to kind of circle around with that and just hear, I mean, one of the biggest things is changes in technology and social media and all of that stuff. How have you seen that play into the confidence in young girls? You know, not only how I have seen it play, but statistically what they're talking about is that girls that spend more than X amount of time scrolling Instagram or TikTok have lower self-esteem than those that don't. I mean, that's just Mm -hmm. statistically they've done the surveys because it is natural human nature to compare ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So I went to a small town public school and I got to compare myself to the like 50 other girls in my eighth grade class. Yeah. Well, my daughter not only gets to compare herself, she goes to a larger school, but she not only gets to compare herself to the, you know, 200 other girls in her class, but also the literally millions of girls on TikTok or Mm -hmm. on Instagram or wherever and think, do I measure up? And in what ways do I measure up? And should I be doing something differently? You know, Mm -hmm. and this is not their fault. This is, we all do this. There's not a human alive that doesn't compare. But what we need are the tools to recognize when we're comparing, recognize what's valid, what's invalid, 
And then how do we continue to build our own sense of self-worth and efficacy in the middle of that and have the tools to limit what we know is bad for our brains, right? I'm not one of those that it's like, oh, let's get rid of all technology. And there are, I mean, I have some kiddos who have zero access to Mm -hmm. phones or social media or all that. And then I have some that have uninhibited access to it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I see that everything is a, as a balance, right? Or not even a balance, a tension to be managed. And how do we, how do I help my daughter understand, like, we monitor our screen time. Mm-hmm. How much screen time did you have this week? And how does that relate to how you felt this week? Mm-hmm. All right. What adjustments do we need to make for next week? You know, it's all of those types of things because I think everything is attention. I don't feel like you can just give kids, you know, unlimited access Mm -hmm. to the world of technology, but I also don't think we can keep them Luddites, you know, for the rest of their lives either. Yeah. Well, what are some of those cues beyond like beyond just having a set amount of screen time? Because I assume week to week that might change. Like some weeks your confidence is really high or, you know, you're having a really great week. So social media doesn't have that big of an impact on you versus some weeks you might be really low and you should be off of social media completely. So what are some of those cues <laughs> that people should be looking for and seeing to decide um, like where to place the limits or when to say like, hey, I got to put this away. I got to put my phone away. I got to um, go off social media for a bit here. Yes. So the three things that I teach my clients and I talk to the parents of my clients about are learning how to be mindful, reflective, and proactive. And so the the mindfulness piece is partly what you're talking about right now is in this moment, how do I feel about this? Is this productive for me? And being able to take that breath and recognize in our bodies when something that we're doing, whether it's social media or hanging out with certain people or, you know, any other activity that you're doing, recognizing my body, is this bringing me joy? Is this making me happy? Is this something that's right for me? Or Mm -hmm. do I need to make a switch? And our bodies will tell us that, but we've been taught to ignore those signals for so long that we have to be mindful literally of getting back in touch with those signals, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the mindfulness piece. And then the reflection piece is what you and I kind of already talked about as far as look back on the last week the last day, the last month. So different periods of time, because as we know, as women, our cycle is going to change how we feel about everything every day, right? So looking back on the last month and having a reflective practice to say, oh, on the 14th and the 15th of the month, like those were really rough for me for whatever reason, whether I was in this phase of my cycle or something was happening in math class or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be then the third phase of this is the proactive piece. So I know around that mid time of the month, I might be prone to be a little more sensitive or a little more stressed or a little more tired. And I'm going to craft some habits around that specific area of my life to make sure that I'm preparing for that so that it's not as difficult of a time for me because I've either set, you know, alarms on my phone to be more mindful at that time, or I've given myself extra rest time during that part, Mm -hmm. or I made sure that I planned something really fun with friends that week because that always makes me feel better or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But those three pieces in tandem, the mindfulness, the reflection, and the proactive, when we can really get those three pieces to work together in this nice, beautiful Venn diagram, (laughs) um, we find that sense of balancing those tensions uh, in a really cool way. And that's one of the things I really 
work to do for my clients is help them with that reflective piece and then making those proactive habits. So we don't do that naturally on our own. A lot of adults even, right? Like we don't sit down and think like, oh, what did my last month look like? And what is my next month going to look like? And how can I plan for this? Um, But if we can start to get in that habit when we're younger and it just comes naturally, man, what a game changer, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love what you said about tracking moods and um, being really reflective about how you feel at the end of the week, at the end of the month and seeing patterns and things like that and how much that can impact you. And I started journaling like three years ago and I think it's just such an impactful practice to sit down at the end of every day and like unpack how I was feeling, what I did, like and and define patterns and things like that. So what is a way that you show you like to show clients or what are your some of your favorite practices um, to track moods or to journal or is it a gratitude list or things like that? Like what are your favorite ways within that to do that practice? Oh, what a great question. I could totally geek on that out on this for hours. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, because I love I love that you journal and I love the idea of journaling. I am probably the most unsuccessful journaler in the really? history of time. Really? I have many, many, many journals. Okay. And I have started many, mm-hmm. uh, but I am a bullet point thinker. Okay. And I had this ideal in my head that like, oh, to be a journaler, you have to like sit mm. down and write long form for like an hour. You know what I mean? I have this ideal. And so one of the things that I like to do for my clients is break down this myth that journaling has to look a certain way, yeah. right? Um, so one of the hacks that I give them is literally just say, I'm going to write five bullet points about my day. That's mm, it. I love that. Or yeah. there's a great journal called the line a day journal. And it literally gives you only room to maybe write two sentences. Huh. And so you have to just break it down into like, what are the two things that I want to say about this day? You know, um, or there's a great one called the five minute journal, which literally takes you five minutes mm-hmm. to do. And so, you know, this is how I'm going to structure this. And it's super structured. Um, That works for some people in a way that long form writing wouldn't work. Another thing that I like to tell them is I am a visual person and an audio person much more than a written form person. So I keep a video journal. Oh, that's such a good idea. talk to myself on video. (laughs) I love that. To process my day. And I'm like, there's, it's no less valid than writing Um, and you know, you have to figure out what your organization system is and all of that jazz, but for some kids that's going to work a lot better or an audio, you know, just keep, uh, the notes on your phone, you know, the notes app, you can audio talk to that. Um, so all sorts of things like that. And if kids don't know what to say, especially when they start journaling, cause they're like, well, I don't just want to recount my whole day. I will give them thoughts on like, keep a journal of, um, Things you're grateful for. That's a huge one because Mm -hmm. gratitude practices are the foundation of everything we do. Um, So three things you're grateful for in the morning and three things you're grateful for at night. Uh, And, you know, studies show that people that do that on a regular basis are anywhere between 25 and 33% happier than the general population because they're literally just writing out things they're grateful for. Um, But I said you can really journal from any perspective Mm -hmm. as long as you're being reflective. So um, high-low. Just write down the best thing and the worst thing that happened today. So you don't have to go into everything, but like yeah. remember the highs and remember the lows or keep a um, a journal of media consumed, I guess is the best way to say it. So what did I read today? What did I watch today? What did I listen to today? You don't even have to analyze yeah. it, but just thinking like, what book did I read today? What uh-huh. TV show did I watch? What podcast did I listen to? 
Um, and that's just a way it's, it's not the exact same, but it gets you in that habit of being like, oh, I'm taking a moment to look back. I'm taking mm-hmm. a moment to look back. And that's all that reflection is. Mm-hmm. And the more you do that and you see the benefits of it, you might want to grow and expand that habit to eventually writing long form. Who knows? You know? Yeah. Um, but yes, I could, like I said, I could geek out on it all day because I want to make reflective practices accessible and easy for everyone, regardless of how they communicate or what feels right to them mm-hmm. and saying like, there is no one way to do this. Yeah. For so long, I tried to do like paper journaling, like taking out a notebook, writing it every day. But then I found an app that, and I was never consistent with the writing in like an actual journal, but I found Mm -hmm. an app. I use like the Dailyo app and um, that has gotten me to do it. I mean, I probably miss like once a week, but other than that, I do every single night and it's cool because it, it actually is like so interactive where it sends me like six months ago, you were doing this or here's this photo or, um, or like I can search a keyword or things like that or see monthly reports. So I like it for those reasons too, that it's easier to look back, but it also just was like, actually got me to do it. So I was like, what you had to say about like, there's no right way. So like, Mm -hmm. there's a perfect example of, um, like I couldn't, do the paper journal, you but this was my finding way. Yeah. what works for you. Yeah. Exactly. And there's tons of apps out there like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings up another one, like the picture a day. That's still a great reflection. Like you choose a picture every day that you're like, oh, this represents my day. Yeah. You know, if you're super visual and artsy, whatever. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's fun. Yeah. So I want to dive more into um, the specific work that you do with um, confidence in young, young girls. And I want to hear just your thoughts on this. You know, it's obviously always important to teach confidence and work on confidence at each stage of life. Like we're always going to be working on that forever. Um, But what age do you see it as the most important and has like the greatest impact? And why is that? That's a fabulous question. And it's not exactly the same for all kids. However, Hmm. if I had having all the experience that I have in the educational system with my own daughters, with friends, kids, all of these types of things in looking at all of that, I would say the absolute latest that you want to get started with teaching these tools to your children, whether it's the seven habits of highly effective people or the four agreements or all sorts of, all sorts of different um, tools that I use, Mm -hmm. the absolute latest that you want to get started on that is probably 10 years old. Wow. Because that's when they are at their peak of confidence usually. Okay. That is right before you see this huge dip in girls' confidence. And this is all well-documented, that around age 11, 12, their confidence just plummets. And you would think, well, like, what's crazy is parents are like, oh, my gosh, my kid, they, you know, they're doing this and they're doing that and they say whatever they want and they're just, you know, really showing up for themselves. So they're not going to need any of that. And it's actually just the opposite. It's the opposite. They, When they are feeling confident is when you need to give them these tools so that when they that starts to dip, they don't think, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me and this is going to be, the rest of my life is going to be ah. full of anxiety and overwhelm and stress. It's like, yeah. no, it's textbook that your confidence would drop at this age. And here's the tools that you can use uh, in order to make sure that you can still move forward and grow and function in spite of that textbook drop, basically. Yeah. So it's it's hard because most people don't think about solving a problem until they have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is definitely an area where being proactive is the absolute best thing to do, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And what are the areas that you see, like, I know this is such a broad question and really differs per person and sure. um, 
Where is the top three maybe things that young girls are really lacking in confidence um, and struggling with? Number one, without a doubt, is relationships. And that's a broad brush for sure, but they are really uncertain about their relationships with other kids their age. They're really uncertain about relationships with adults in their life, whether it's teachers or parents or leaders of any type, um, even people that they've known for years and years and been comfortable with mm-hmm. as their brains start to change because the second most rapid time of brain growth is in your early teen years, mm-hmm. the first time being literally as an infant. Right. And their brains are growing and changing and their mm-hmm. bodies are growing and changing. And so how they relate to people is changing but they don't know how and they don't feel like they have a model for what that's supposed to look like because they're not mini adults and they're not big kids. They are in their own separate area of teen and tweendom. Yeah. And it's tricky and they're all looking to one another because this is when we start to peer reference instead of adult reference. They're looking to one another and none of them know what they're doing, which is kind of beautiful if you think about it. Yeah. Um, but relationships are the number one area where they lack confidence in how do I say the things that I want to say or need to say, or can I say the things that I want to say? How do I show up in this space? How do I be myself when I'm afraid everyone's going to judge me? How do I um, stand up for what I need when I'm not in a position of power because all of these adults are over me? You know, Mm. just different things like that. They really, across the board, I would say that's the number one area that they lack confidence in. Um, Additionally, I think the two and three could be a lot of different things because I think relationships really are that foundation for everything. Yeah. But anything that they're doing that is unique to them is both their greatest area of confidence as well as their greatest area of insecurity. So whether they're a softball player or an actor or a football player or a bassoonist or whatever, you know, they feel confident because they're like, ooh, this is something that I do that's unique and different, but they're also very self-conscious about that because they're like, am I the best? Do I need to be the best? Am I good enough to be on the team? Am I good enough for these people to like me? You know, there's, it's still this kind of, it it pulls into relationships still because it's still this sense of like, where do I fit in the world? Mm -hmm. And is that where I want to fit in the world? Interesting. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I would say those are the top two. I I don't know if there would be like a a mishmash of things for third, just really depending on what the child is most interested in and what their areas of um, of values are. You know, what do they value the most, right? Mm. That changes things. And do you see a lot of those problems, like if this isn't stopped or like worked on um, when this young girl is 10, 11, 12, you know, around those ages, is this something that translates and carries on a lot into adulthood? And those are the same stories that people tell themselves in adulthood, you know, like if if they're not confident about their friendships when they're young, does that seem to translate or does it have a stopping point? Well, Emma, why don't you tell me? Did you feel like you've totally mastered friendship and relationships and all the other things? Or do you still have areas where you're like, huh, I have no idea what I'm doing? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and it is all of us. And I, you know, life is a journey, right? Not a yeah. destination. And so anything one of the main reasons that I wanted to do this for young girls is because I really discovered a lot of this through my own personal journey uh, in college and and my early professional career. And I was like, man, there is so much amazing 
literature out here about how to be confident, how to be a leader, how to be your best self, how to um, hack some of these things that would have been really great to have in middle and high school. They could have really come in handy for me. Uh, And why are we waiting until people are out in the career world before we say, oh, you should go to this seminar that teaches you, you know, creative problem solving, or you should, you know, start. And, you know, chicken or the egg, we don't have to blame anyone for anything. But I recognized as I was learning these things, just the way that the brain develops, the tools are going to be the same for my kid when she's eight, 18, 28, or 88. The tools will be the same. Her stage in life will dictate how she uses them. So as an educator, I'm like, the earlier I can help girls start having gratitude practices, start learning how to set smart goals, start uh, understanding and having a framework for how they develop trust in relationships. The earlier I can start with them, the easier it's going to be because you don't have to do a whole 180 someday when you're 35 years old and wake up and realize like, oh man, my negative self-talk is out of control and I'm stressed and I'm anxious and I created a life where... I'm just living for the weekends like this sucks. I got to change something and you want to change everything. Instead of that, how about we give them all these tools when they're, you know, in their early years so they can make little pivots and little changes each day, each month, each week as they work forward. So it's not that anyone would ever be cured of anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that we would ever, yeah. I mean, I Never teach this stuff partly, <laughs> exactly, partly because I'm still learning it. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I love that. Um, but the more tools you have in the toolbox, the earlier, mm-hmm. the faster you are going to be to pull at those when you need them and recognize when you need them. And that's so much of it um, is the recognition piece. So at the age of my ripe old age of 43 next week, um, I... I'm finally at a place where when I start to feel certain things in my body, I'm like, oh, I need to pull on that tool. Oh, I need to pull on that tool. And my 14-year-old now is already there. She already knows like, oh, I know I need some meditation time or Mm -hmm. I know I need um, some exercise time or I I know what's happening in my body. That's so valuable. what I need. Yes. Yeah. And to to know that at 14, man, Mm -hmm. To be able to take a step back and think – yeah, be able to really think critically about that instead of just either judging yourself about it or going down a spiral yes. with it. Exactly. We want to stop the spiral before it gets too low. Yeah. And put it back on course on the way up. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what are some strategies that we can all implement with young girls that we that we are have in our lives? Like how can we breed confidence in them and give them some of these practices? Because I mean, you're impacting so many people, but how do we bring this onto a larger scale and all do something to um, breed this confidence? Absolutely. So everything I teach my clients is based on my fiercest framework. So each of the letters in the word fiercest stands for a habit, attitude, or mindset that will lead to success as we continue to use it. And so the one that I'm going to share with you today is based on the I okay. in fiercest, yeah. and that is I am statements which of course we know are also called affirmations. So I am statements or affirmations are, I've literally been using these with my girls since they were two and learning to potty train. (laughs) Because I, yeah. That's so cool. It is so powerful Mm -hmm. to do three things with these I am statements. The first one is to set an intention of who we're trying to be. So for example, um, I will talk to my daughters as we're in the car on the way to school 
and say, all right, what challenges do you see coming today? Well, I've really been struggling with this friend or I have this test coming up or what have you. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. so you know the challenge before you. What quality or attribute do you need to most pull on that you have in yourself to deal with that challenge today? So that's kind of the second question that I ask. And, and sometimes I have to help, you know, my seven-year-old obviously doesn't have as many words as my 14-year-old to know what she needs. And that's, that's a piece of this is growing in that emotional literacy and those adjectives and things. But we find those words and then we say those affirmations together. Like I need patience. So if you need patience, instead of saying you need it, say, I am patience. I am someone who exhibits patience. I am someone who grants other people grace and impatient with them, you know? So we just kind of talk around that and that's setting your intention of being a patient person. But what it's also doing is it's claiming a truth because I truly believe you can't want something for yourself that you don't already have a little bit of. So when you say I am brave, you're not saying I'm not brave at all. And now I'm going to be brave all of a sudden. It's not a magic pill, Uh but you can find within yourself. There are little pieces, pieces of bravery And you're just expanding those. So you're claiming that truth of that is someone that I am and who I'm becoming more of. So you're claiming that truth for yourself. And the third thing that saying these affirmations is doing for you is it's choosing a lens through which to view your day. Because if I need more patience in my day and I say I am patient, I'm looking for opportunities to be patient. I am activating Mm. my reticular activation system to look for patience, to see myself being patient, that type of thing. But what if what I need for the day is excitement because, you know, school's been pretty boring. So I'm going to be looking for excitement. I'm exciting. I am an exciting person. I am going to look for excitement. I'm going to create exciting opportunities. That's a whole different lens that I'm going to view my day with than if I'm looking through the lens of patience, right? So these affirmations are just so powerful when we unpack them like that and have these conversations about them. And it's not just getting a kid to say, I am kind, because we can do that. Like, you can make your kids say that and that will have zero effect on their life. Right. Or you can unpack it with them about why they need kindness that day, where they've seen themselves be kind in the past, and now what kind of opportunities they're going to help look for because that's what they're wanting for their day. Mm. I love that. And I love how much you put it kind of on each individual person to take control of that. And with the affirmations, like every, it's kind of saying everything's in in your control and solvable. And I just love that because it's kind of the idea of how they can control their life versus just letting it happen to you. And I think that probably gives them so much confidence in relationships, being able to like choose healthy relationships versus just thinking they aren't good enough and and taking whatever they can get. And in so many areas, I'm sure that breeds such confidence that they can take control of what they're doing and how their life looks. Absolutely. And always t- I always say, it's so funny, my seven-year-old threw this back at me the other day. She's like, mom, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, well, you are going to school tomorrow. She's like, no, <laughs> you told me I always have a choice. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I said, you do always have a choice. So here is your choice. Your choice tomorrow is to go to school willingly or to have me take you unwillingly because that's what we're doing tomorrow. Now, that being said, Miss Seven-Year-Old, who I love very much and respect, and I'm glad that you listen to my words still. Yeah. If you really have an issue with going to school, let's sit down and talk about that. Mm. And if you need to do something different 
and you do need to have more, you know, autonomy in the situation or choice in the situation, let's talk that through because I'm not going to continue to quote unquote, make you go to school. Mm. You have to choose that because at seven, I could make her at 17. I can't. Right. Right. Or even at 12, I can't because physically she's going to be bigger than me and there's going to be all sorts of other issues. And what's the point in making someone do something so that she knows at seven, she has that choice. And at 12, she's going to have that choice. And at 17, and she's going to choose it along with whatever consequences come Mm -hmm. when we make choices that aren't, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, okay, what if you don't go to school tomorrow? You know what I mean? Let's play that out. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. You know, um, what are the consequences of not going to school? What are the potential upsides and downsides? Like, what would that look like? You know, and when you give kids that power, from what I have seen mm-hmm. in a non-traumatized, healthy relationship, mm. those kids take that seriously and are able to come to the conclusion that's going to be best for them mm-hmm. and problem solve. Because that's the thing. When you choose some things, you, you're going to have to also be willing to problem solve. Because I'm like, you don't have to go to school. I'm not going to make you go to school. I'm also not planning on homeschooling you. So you need to problem solve and figure out what that's going to look like if you're not going to go to school and I'm not going to homeschool you. Bring me a proposal and we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that autonomy piece is so cool and like the independence that is giving them and just another piece. How do you do that with obviously those are your kids that you're parenting. Um, right. How do you do that and show kids like I'm sure you work with some kids that have really strict parents. Um, yeah in the work that you do with confidence coaching, how do you, you know, give them that, that independence and that confidence to make choices for themselves when their like parents are kind of coming at it from a different angle and you don't want to like conflict with that. How do you do that? So we do a lot of role playing because I will get a lot of pushback from them. I'm like, okay, well, what if you choose this? Or like, oh, my parents won't let me. I'm like, Mm. okay, well, what does that look like? Like paint me that picture when your parents don't let you do something. And they're like, well, they'll be angry at me. I'm like, okay, well, being angry at you is not the same as not letting you do something. Um, And a lot of times these kids are even afraid to ask or use their voice. I'm like, what if you, you know, came with a solid plan of why this needs to happen or why you want to do it this way? Because I understand right now you're just telling me you don't want to do something or you want to do something, but you're not giving me any solid reasoning. So as your coach, I'm going to coach you through ways that you can communicate with your parents to help them understand your point of view. And that's the thing that a lot of kids are missing is that communication and negotiation piece. And I'm like, your parents are not unreasonable individuals. I've, I've rarely have I met a parent that's just completely unreasonable. They're all reasonable, but they have their own priorities and their own values. And so as a tween or teen, they need to be able to state their priorities and their values and their reasoning and then help problem solve. And that doesn't mean hey, mom, this is my one answer to this solution, you know, this problem. It means here's three possible solutions. Can we Mm. sit down and talk about this? Yeah. You know, and so giving them those skills to be able to do that. And, you know, and some kids are like, oh my gosh, yes, this is amazing. And and they get right on it. And other kids are still like, "Uh, but you don't know. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, well, you know, it's still not wasted in, in the sense that they're still hearing the possibilities of how, to communicate and how to negotiate. And then we talk about like, okay, so that's a big thing, like going to a concert or, you know, not wanting to pursue college right after Mm -hmm. high school or something like that. Those are big things. Why don't we start with communicating with something small with your parents? Like who has to make dinner or do the dishes or whatever, you know, so that there's 
we have to scaffold everything in. You can't start with the big kahuna. So mm-hmm. if they're not used to having healthy communication and conflict, then let's start with small things and move on from there. So those those are some of the ways that I help my clients through those situations. Well, and if they don't use it with their parents, you know, in the next couple of weeks or at this stage of life, like they'll have that skill to learn, to, to know how to bring it to a boss in the future exactly. or, you know, anytime they have conflict in the future, they'll be able to bring that skill out too. Yeah. They're like, what did Aaron say that one time? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm sure you get some pushback sometimes, like maybe even from your own kids, like it's not something that they want to do right now. They're not in the mood to work on and or to say an <laughs> affirmation or something like that. So how do you keep it really fun and exciting and something that they want to do and want to bring into their life? Yes. So one of the ways is by having it as a framework and as fun. So of the fiercest framework, the first six is the word fierce, F-I-E-R-C-E. Mm-hmm. And we talk about just doing that every morning as a habit and a practice so introducing it a little bit at a time, practicing it, being reflective on it so it becomes automatic. So, you know, like I don't have to tell my kids anymore. Well, that's not true. I wish I didn't have to tell my kids to brush their teeth. What do I not have to tell them to do? I don't have to tell them to brush their hair because they know they want to look nice when they go out the door, right? Okay, yeah. So yeah. they brush their hair automatically. It's just a habit. It's automatic. It's not an issue. And we have all of those things, right? So the idea with the fierce morning and teaching them these habits, mindsets, and attitudes is that they would practice them reflexively so much Mm. that I don't have to be like, hey, go say your affirmation because no one wants to do what someone tells them to do, right? Right. Yeah. They have to see the benefit of it in their life and then it just becomes as natural as whatever is natural to someone. You know, it's so so funny because everybody has different habits, but, you know, whatever things come reflexively. And we do talk about that of, Uh, from the book Atomic Habits, Habit Stacking, and Mm -hmm. being able to start the F, which is feel gratitude, first thing in the morning. So like the habit that we are stacking feel gratitude on is opening our eyes in the morning. Like you open your eyes because we don't have to think about opening our eyes when we wake up. We just do it. And as soon as you do that, that's your signal to say something that you're grateful for. Oh, I like that. You know, yeah. And then after you do that is when you do the I am statement. So as soon as that becomes a habit, then your I am statements become a habit. And then as soon as that becomes, you know, and it just goes on and on from there. Um, But, you know, especially teenagers, you're right. They're moody sometimes. And, you know, I am very, I try to be very respectful of how they're feeling because their feelings are valid. Mm -hmm. If they're not into it, that is completely valid. I am not here to try to force you or make you like this all comes back to that whole choice thing. Yeah. And I can't want it for a client or for my daughters more than they want it for themselves. Do they want to be happy, healthy individuals? Awesome. I've got tools to help you. Right. Would you rather sulk and be moody today? Awesome. I am going to give you the space to do that because I am trusting that that's what's best for you right now. Because sometimes... Don't we just sometimes need to sit in front of the TV with a pint of ice cream watching Friends? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Is that what's, quote unquote, best for us? Maybe not, but Mm -hmm. that's what I'm going to do. And so why would I not allow that for my child as well? Everyone has to have that give and that take and be allowed to listen to what Mm. works for them. Because when we've taught it as a habit, I always know eventually they're going to come back to it. So even if they're not utilizing it in that exact moment, I know they'll come back to it. Right. Um, They'll notice that they feel off or bad or Uh not optimized when they don't utilize something like that. Exactly. Exactly. So no forcing here. 
and take, I take pushback with ease. I'm like, yep, I totally get it. I was a teen girl once too. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm a fully grown adult female and don't feel much different than a teen girl some days. Yeah. (laughs) So I fully respect and give you that space to do and be who you need to be. Yeah. So with negative self-talk, is that the best way to go about it just with affirmations or what is the best way to kind of tackle that and turn it into more of a habit of having positive self-talk? Ooh, that's a great question because aren't we all prone to negative self-talk? Yeah. I mean, even me who literally teaches this stuff every single day of my life, uh, the best thing to do is to, to cultivate curiosity. Mm. Ask ourselves, why? Why am I saying this to myself? Why do I feel this way today? What if I didn't feel this way? What if I felt the opposite of this? Or what if I said the opposite of this? So just asking ourselves questions. So, so often the best things come from just getting curious around those things. Because what happens is we end up in the shame spiral. If we're like, ooh, I feel really bad about what I didn't get done today. And I haven't been very productive. And I don't deserve this. And that's why good things aren't happening to me. And yet, you know, you can... And then when you realize you're talking bad to yourself, you're like, oh, now I feel guilty that I'm talking bad to myself because I'm not supposed to do that either. You know what I mean? And it just like can perpetuate the shame cycle. Yeah. So one way to stop it is to just get curious about it, to just Mm -hmm. observe it and say, and that's part of mindfulness, right? Is observing our current state, not judging it, not saying it's bad because we are humans and there is human nature to be accounted for, but getting curious about it and then saying, huh, is this helping me? Is this where I want to stay? Do I want to keep going down the shame spiral or is there something I could do to adjust it? And when you have those tools in your toolbox and you decide, yes, I do want to adjust it, then you're like, oh, maybe I could pull out some affirmations or maybe I could go out and get a little exercise or maybe Mm -hmm. I can go encourage someone else. And that might help me to shift this around. What are the tools that I have that can make this, that can turn this around and start the spiral upwards instead of downwards? I love that. Um, all right, before we wrap up here, I want you to have time to talk about your book and what you're, um, putting out into the world with that. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. Thank you for asking. Yeah. It is based on my fierce framework. Okay. So it is going to be fun and colorful and interactive. So Uh my goal with this book, it's called your fierce life, six simple steps to daily confidence. Okay. And it's based on the the word fierce, F-I-E-R-C-E. And the chapters are super short and they have a story and a daily application and then a way that you can continue to grow that habit or mindset in your life. It has a coloring page for each one. It has Mm -hmm. um, some tips on just fun ways to integrate it, like you're talking about making it fun and accessible. It's going to be a colorful book because my whole goal was to write a book that teen girls would actually read. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Because there's so much great literature out there for teen girls. And I'm telling you, I have shelves full of it. And they're they're not reading it. Not because it's not great. Not because it's not great. Right. Because they've got schoolwork to do. And they've got friends to hang out with. And they've got college applications to fill out. And they've got a million things. So I'm like, how do I make it so when they pick it up, they're like, ooh, this is interesting, number one. And number two, ooh, this is short enough that I can read like two or three pages, get something out of it tangible, actionable mm-hmm. that I can go do, and it's going to make a difference in my life. And then maybe I can come back to another couple pages in another week or so and yeah. things like that. So that is the whole purpose. It will be out this fall. And yes, I'm extremely excited to put that out in the world. Um 
So more people can, because I'm one person. I can only coach so many people, right? Right. (laughs) So is it tailored specifically for young girls to read or do you think adults should pick it up and, and learn from it as well? Adults, definitely. Because again, I teach what I teach because I need to learn it. Yep. <laughs> so while while the book itself is visually supposed to be appealing to teens, okay. um, it's not even it's not even tailored specifically towards girls. It's literally, I'm going to have a parent guide in the back and a teacher guide in the back so you can implement it as a teacher oh, and become cool. a, you know, a fierce classroom. Mm-hmm. Like how, how would we implement these you know, these six steps into our classroom for everybody, you know, that mm-hmm. type of thing. So it's going to be super accessible. That's the idea. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it'll be nicer for some of those, um, like self-help books can go so into the weeds and like be yes. such long chapters and things like that. So maybe even this <laughs> will be uh, like an easier read, but just like you're still grabbing the like most important pieces from it. Yes. The meat of it that makes a difference every mm-hmm. day that can help us with those tiny habits. Yeah. 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 So to wrap it up here, I want to hear what is the best or most recent book that you personally have read? Oh my goodness. I love to read. So can I, oh, can I distill it down to just one? I think you can give a couple too. (laughs) Okay. Well, the book that I recommend the most to the most people is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Okay. It is for anyone who considers themselves in any way creative. And by creative, I don't mean artistic. I mean, people who are putting interesting things out into the world. Uh, I just, I absolutely adore it. I can't even count how many times I've read it. If you get it on Audible, she reads it to you and her voice is like butter. So I highly recommend that. And anything by Brene Brown. Yeah. um, She's just my, she's my girl crush and my hero. And someday I'm going to meet her and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, Because... A lot of what I do with girls is taking different things that she said or that she's put out there and making them developmentally appropriate and mm. bite-sized enough for young girls to handle. Yeah. Like her braving acronym is everything um, to me. And, oh, if, I'm trying to think. If I had one more, maybe um, Lovey Ajayi Jones just came out with a professional troublemaker for youth. I think she calls it rising troublemaker maybe. Okay. And it's just, it's just a great book, just about lessons that she has learned and how she is learning to navigate the world and make good trouble out there. And that's really what I think we're all supposed to be doing. The whole point of confidence is not just for ourselves. It's confident to put out there in the world Mm -hmm. things that will make the world better for all of us. Right. Confidence isn't for us. It, it's great that we have it, but if we're just doing it for selfish purposes, I feel like we've stopped a little too soon. So being a troublemaker, making trouble, doing things that matter, that's what it's all about. I love that. Um, before we go to the next question, I do want to give you a chance. Is there a way we can pre-order um, the book that you're publishing or what's the best way to support that work too? So I don't have the pre-order link available yet. Okay. However, I do have a Google form that I will put on my website and all of my socials Okay. where if you want to be informed of when the book launches, it's just literally ask for your name and your email address so I can say, hey, here's the link when it's when it's ready. Okay, um, perfect. Or if people want to be part of my book launch team and help spread the word, they can sign up there as well. So Wonderful. Um, and then who or what is illuminating or inspiring you right now? Oh my goodness. You know, I have to always throw it back to my three daughters because mm. they are the why behind 
everything that I do. So they constantly illuminate for me, honestly, the places where I need to grow. (laughs) Um, I would not be half the person I was if I had not brought them into the world and wanted the absolute best for them. Yeah. And in doing so, have to face my own challenges, my own demons, my own traumas, my own triggers. Yeah. Um, to make it a better world for them and their peers. You know, so they yeah. constantly are showing me who I am and then allowing me the grace to try again. Mm. You know, and yeah. There's no greater gift than that, honestly. I love that. Um, And to wrap it up, what is your one message you'd like to send to the world or to our audience? In a nutshell, you get to create the life you love. No matter how early or how late you feel like you're starting, you have the power to create a life you love. And all of us will be better off if you do. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Aaron today. If you love this conversation or have enjoyed any of the recent Illuminate podcast episodes, we would so appreciate if you left a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app or if you shared about it with your friends or on social media so that we can continue to grow the show and share the stories with more people. If you loved what Erin is doing, go check her out. She's erintar.com and she's erintar at Be The Benchmark on Facebook. You can also follow the Illuminate Podcast. We're at the Illuminate Podcast on Instagram and Illuminate underscore pod on Twitter. Thank you so much for being here and for listening to my conversation. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.